Um, listen, a large part of my childhood happened before there was this thing, this magical thing called the internet, right? Now, you know what I'm talking about, right? For instance, if I ever had a, a question on how to spell a word, I would have to raise my hand in class, and my teacher would, would call on me, and she would say, what can I help you with? And I'd say, how do you spell whatever? And she would say, what? Look it up in the dictionary. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? This, this means without the internet, I grew up with a lot of questions and not an easy way to find the answers. Look it up in the dictionary is what I always got. Well, this seems easy enough until you're writing a, a paper on something like tsunamis or the Knights of the Round Table, both of those words, for whatever crazy reason, start with letters that have nothing to do with how you actually pronounce the words. So when I tell you that I spent, I spent 30 minutes looking up the history of wrestling in the R book of the encyclopedia, right, another long forgotten book, you better believe I was frustrated. And now, I'm sure we can all relate to this, right? Except for the little ones here. Right? We can all relate to this experience, right? We, we go to college, and the, the rise of the internet was in full force, at least for me when I was there anyways, right? Google changed my life, y'all, right? right? I was no longer had to spell things correctly for them to appear in the search bar, and then when Wikipedia came into the picture, all was right with the world, right? right? We, could, we could do our work like that, but then... Just like that, just like those things coming into my life, another thing came into my life, and that was called the research paper, right? And a little thing called the bibliography, right? The bibliography. Suddenly, I had to cite my source, and it couldn't just be some guy on the internet who said blah, 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 sitting on, on a couch in his mom's basement eating Cheetos, right? It had to be a reputable source, right? Things were getting trickier and trickier by the second. Right, for real though, right? We all have had these troubles at some point, right? And these troubles, these situations actually did teach me a lesson that I still carry to this day. And that's this, the source is just as important as the information, right? The source is just as important as uh, the information. For example, when I was about uh, Dylan and Lucas, Lucas's age, uh, fourth, fifth grade, is that, is that about, yeah, that's good, okay, fourth or fifth grade, I had to write a paper about my family's heritage, and so I went to the source, I thought, right, the, the perfect source, my grandpa, right, so I call my grandpa up, and I say, hey, grandpa, what is the history of our family, the Keenies, and he said, this is going to be great, go ahead and sit down, and I'm going to tell you everything, he said, what you first need to know is, is that we were great and famous horse thieves in Northern Ireland. Right? That's what we were. He said, we were horse thieves in Northern Ireland. And one time, the king of England came over for a visit, and we stole his horse. All right? And so I'm writing this down. I'm making notes. And he said, that's the reason. Right? They caught up with us, and that's the reason we had to escape to America. That's why we came here. That's why we dropped the O from Keeney, and we just became Keeney. We were famous horse thieves who stole the king of England's horse, and we had to hide from him. So we came to America. So I wrote this up. I give it to my teacher, and she says, this can't be true. Now, you're going to have to go check with your source. 
All right, so I called my grandpa up, and he just starts laughing. <laughs> the source is just as important as the information. My elementary teachers, our elementary school teachers, right, they wanted us to go to the most trusted source there was for spelling, the dictionary. Right? Our, our college professors uh, want to make sure that we're not just trusting anyone that's out there with a keyboard, but trusting someone with, with experience, knowledge, and understanding. And so listen, Foundry Church, right? I want the same for you too. Right today, like we've said, we begin a new series of sermons called Long Story Short, where it is our hope that we will learn more about the Bible than we ever thought we could. That we're going to look at the story of God and how we can be a part of it when we forge our life on Him. Right? We want to learn about the, the beginning of this whole thing all the way up to the prophesied end. Right? We want to learn about the, the judges and the prophets and the, the women who changed the world and the men who did change the world, but first they messed up and they had to be redeemed by God. Right? We, want to, we want to learn it all. Right? We want to look at it all, all these pages. But I don't want you to just take my word for it. Listen, I, I hope that I am a trusted source of information in your life, but I'll be honest, I'm not the ultimate source. And I know you all thought I was, right? but I'm not. Right? There are theologians, there are professors, there's historians, there's linguists who know far more about the story that we want to look at over the next 12 weeks. And they know more about it and have forgot more about it than I'll ever know. Right? And then there's the greatest source of all time, right? the, the Bible in and of itself. So today, before we dig into the actual story, I want to talk about the Bible as a whole. I want to spend today making sure that when you have a question and, and you hear someone say, well, just look it up in the Bible, you aren't searching for tsunamis in the S's like I was. But rather, you could be confident in the source material, its authors of, of the truth that it holds. All right, so today, that's what we're doing. We're going to dive in. And to start off, right, the, the Bible is divided into two big sections, right? The Old Testament, which is this, the section of Scripture that was written before Jesus was born. And then we have the, the New Testament, which is about Jesus, his life, and the followers who began his church, even us today. Ultimately, the, the Bible, in and of itself, is a collection of documents and historical books and eyewitness accounts with songs and, and letters and journals, all written by about 40 authors under the inspiration of God's Spirit. Right? While the, the writers were all men, they were from a variety of of backgrounds, right? There were, there were fishermen, we knew, right? There, there's doctors, there's kings, there's shepherds, there's homeless prophets, there's musicians, and everything in between. Now, the Bible in and of itself was written in three languages, the, the Hebrew language, the Aramaic language, and the Greek, and it's about 611,000 words long. Right, that makes it longer than, than Moby Dick, but not as long as Harry Potter. So if you read all of Harry Potter, right, if you read that series, you can get through the Bible. It was written on three different continents, Asia, uh, Africa, and Europe. 
And that is just the tip of the iceberg. Right? To be honest, I could geek out on this and I could preach a hundred sermons on the Bible, its authors, its makeup, and all the amazing things that make it what it is, but I won't, so all right, you're welcome. But making sense of the Bible, right, before we actually dig in, making sense of the Bible with, with many of its strange sayings and stories can be like trying to figure out rocket science. Right, listen, there are some crazy things in these pages, right, in the, in the pages that you have in your hands. I know there's a, there's a talking donkey, Right? The entire Nile River turns to blood, and we're going to look at these stories. At one point, one of the prophets has a bear attack some kids because they call him bald. Right? And, and the book of Revelation is just one confusing section after another. Right? So how do, we, how do we make sense of all of it? Right? How, how do we make sure we get a 30,000-foot view of all of it? Well... Before we jump into actually doing and looking at these pages, maybe it comes down to the lens at which we're reading, right? The, the lens at which we are, are viewing these stories. For example, maybe you have this lens, right? Maybe you've heard people talk about how life-changing Scripture is, how it's been life-changing for them, but then you read it and it doesn't really change anything. Right? You still feel anxious, you, you still argue with your spouse, you still don't feel great about yourself, and so you're left wondering exactly what is life-changing about the Bible, right? and so that's your lens. Or maybe uh, you've seen or heard people use the Bible to prove that they are right while trying to prove to other people that they are wrong, and you think, why, why would I get excited about something that is used to talk down to other people, right? And so that's your lens. Or maybe uh, the Bible has been explained to you uh, by different people, but these people, they all seem, seem to say different things. And what one person says contradicts what the other person says. And, and you look at them, and they both talk with authority, uh, and you wonder just, uh, who's right? Like, what's, what's it worth? Why put in the work of figuring this out for myself? Right? And then yet, some people still have this lens, right? They, they just view the Bible as just a history textbook, or they use it as a, as a weapon, or some look at it as a cup of coffee, just a part of their morning routine. Some people view it as an instruction manual to pull out just a few times a year. Right? It's no wonder we're confused. There's a lot of lenses at which we look at the Bible, and no matter how long you've been following Jesus, forging your life on God, chances are many of us have had these questions and many more when it comes to the Bible. But here's the good news, Foundry. Right? Here's the good news. Right? This, the Foundry, is a place where you can ask these questions. We know that. We can uh, speak up. We can express questions and doubts and concerns Right? When we're forging our life on God, we don't have to ignore our doubt, our curiosity, our frustration, and when we show up, when we have this relationship with God. Right? We don't have to leave our brain at the door. So questions are okay. Right? And you don't have to rely on me. We're able to study it for ourselves and dig in and anchor ourselves to the truth of God's word 
Right? We can own our spiritual growth. Right? And, and again, full disclosure, uh, this series, this sermon, right, we won't answer every question that you have about uh, the Bible and the stories that are in it, and that's okay. Right? Because it means that, that the God that we forge our life on is way, way bigger than we can comprehend. Right? But we will make sure that we are putting on the right lens that we have the right tools, the, the right opportunities to dig into the story, to, to look at this, this, this message that God is writing to us, his followers, and to know the stories that he wants us to know. Right, look at it like this. Just like we don't always understand everything that happens in life, right? just like we don't understand every little thing that happens in life, we may never fully understand everything contained in divinely inspired scripture right instead my, my goal for this series for today as we set the context for this series is to find some new ways of thinking about the new lens that we're going to be putting on right this lens that we're going to look at scripture through and to do that i want to focus on three questions that i think most of us have about the bible right and here are the three questions right can we trust the bible Right? right? Can we just trust the Bible? And then question two is, why do, uh, did God give us the Bible in the first place? And then question three is, why should I read the Bible at all? Like, why, why should I take the time, put in the effort? All right, so the first question, can we trust the Bible? All right, can we trust the Bible? I mean, we all trust in something, don't we? I mean, think about it, right? Even the most skeptical among us exercises complete trust in many things, right? When we stand up, uh, we trust that our legs are going to hold us, right? When we, when we sit down, we, we trust the chair that we're sitting on, right? When we, we go to bed, we trust that the earth will continue its rotation and that morning will come, Right? We have chosen to place trust in these things because of their past reliability right? and their present continuity. Right? Their, their past reliability and their present continuity. Right? We choose to trust. Otherwise, we would live in a constant state of fear and sorrow and uncertainty. So when we look at the Bible... Right, when we start digging in into the story of Scripture from the beginning to the end, right, when we look at the Bible, we must do the same thing. Right? We must look at its past reliability and its present continuity. Right? There, are, there are several things to consider in determining the trustworthiness of the Bible. Right? The first being the often uh, challenged statement that the Bible is true because it says it is true. Now, listen, you're not going to hear a lot of preachers say this, but that's foolish, right? That for sure is foolish to base trust on that factor alone. Right? I don't know about how, I don't know about you, but, but if someone came up to me and said, hey, um, hand over your, your debit cards and your credit cards, right? If, if I was to hand those over to a stranger because they say I can trust them because they're trustworthy, my mama didn't raise no fool, right? I, I'm not going to do that. But what I can tell that person, right, I can say, all right, if you're trustworthy, prove it, right? And we can do the same with the Bible, 
right? I promise you that the word of God can stand you asking questions and doubting because it is backed by God, right? Look at it like this, right? God is bigger than your questions, so ask away. God is bigger than any question we have, so we can ask away. To declare that the Bible is untrustworthy would mean that we must find another reasonable explanation for its miraculous nature, right? right? One of the most common things people say about the Bible is that it has been translated and retranslated so many times that it is impossible to know what the original documents have said. Right, people often compare it to a game of, of telephone. Right, you know what I'm talking about? Right, a game of telephone. You stand in a circle, you whisper something into the ear of the person next to you, and they repeat it to the next person's ear. Right, and by the time that it gets back around to you, the message is completely different. Right, and you always have that one kid like me who says something stupid or inappropriate just to change the original statement and even more, right? right? And people say that's what has happened over the years with the Bible, just one big game of telephone. Well, let's, let's ask this question right, of, of ourselves. Right, would it be fair, right, do you think it would be fair to take the standards that, that historians and scholars use to test the reliability of other ancient documents, Right, do you think it would be uh, fair to take those standards and apply them to the Bible? Right, and that's what I want to do real quick. Right, let's just try it and see what happens. Right, two of the, the biggest standards that historians use on ancient documents are these. First, how many copies of the book do we have? It's a simple one. Right? And then, how long after the person wrote it is our earliest copy? For instance, let's take uh, Theodes, right? He's an ancient Greek historian who lived and wrote about 450 years before the time of Jesus. All right, so most scholars and historians, when I say most, like 99.9% of them, uh, they, they see his work as, as historically accurate, right? That it's, that it's, it's true, They're not disputing it. No one is losing sleep at night wondering if we can actually trust what he wrote. And so do you know how many copies do we have of his work? We have eight. We have eight copies. And those eight copies were made 1,300 years after he lived. Right? And this is very common for manuscripts. Let me give you some more examples. We have Five copies of Aristotle's Poetics, dated 1,400 years after he wrote. Right? And then we have, have two copies of Alexander the Great's autobiography. And one of those copies was written 400 years after Alexander lived. Right? And then the, the real rock star of the ancient world is Homer. Right? We all know Homer. Uh, he's the rock star because they actually, or we actually have 1,800 copies or fragments of the Iliad, right? this, this famous epic poem. And yet the earliest copy they have that, it's, that, they, that they have is still 400 years after Homer wrote it. Right? Those are the standards that historians use. So, so how does the Bible stack up when we apply just these two historical standards? Well, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, 
And at last count, there are over 5,800 copies of the Greek New Testament. The, the earliest fragment we have is from the Gospel of John. And it has been dated to be within 50 years of when John wrote it. Right? In addition to the 5,800 Greek uh, manuscripts, there are over 10,000 Latin and Coptic and Syrian translations of the New Testament. And many of those date back to within a couple hundred years of Jesus. But that's not all. It's like an info commercial. I know today's sermon's a little bit different, right? I get excited and can geek out about this stuff, right? But if that's not all, listen, right? Even if all those manuscripts and translations were lost or never found, there was still a group of writers known as the church fathers. You may have heard them as the, the desert fathers or the ancient church fathers. And they wrote within the first 150 years of the church. And so in the book of Acts, you have, you have the church established, right? On the day of Pentecost, the, and the church had started, and Jesus, he ascended back into heaven. The church had started, and these guys start writing. And what they do, get this, is there are over 30,000 quotations of the New Testament in their writings, Right, so these, these guys, these ancient church fathers, we call them, these desert fathers, uh, they, they're writing. Right? They're, they're reading what, what, what John has wrote, written. They're reading what Luke has written in, in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. They're reading Paul's letters, and, and they're hearing these things, and, and they start interacting with it themselves, right? just like we do. And so they, they write in response to, in argument of, or in acceptance of, whatever. And in the process of doing that, they're quoting the original documents. And so if we take those 30,000 quotations that are, are from the New Testament in their writings, you could reconstruct almost 85% of the entire New Testament just from their quotations alone. Right? And so what do we have right? if we zoom out? Thousands upon thousands of copies dating back to within 50 years of when the originals were written. And we also have a bunch of the originals. Right? There is no other ancient document that comes even close to that. When you apply the standards of history, the Bible is head and shoulders above everything else. Right? And as, as we said, we have to look at the past reliability, but also the present continuity. And so maybe history is not your thing like me. Right? Maybe, maybe math is your thing not like me. Right? So for example, of the nearly 2,500 prophecies given in the Bible, hundreds or thousands of years beforehand, right? 2,500 prophecies given thousands of years beforehand, 2,000 of them, of those 2,500, have been fulfilled, right? With the other 500 still haven't reached reaching time, like they're for the end of time, right? Uh, they haven't been fulfilled yet, or they haven't had the opportunity to be fulfilled yet. So 2,000 of the 2,500 prophecies given in the Bible have been fulfilled. The probability of all these prophecies being fulfilled without error, which we know has happened, is roughly 1 in, t in 10 to the 20,000th power. Right? I can't even begin to tell you how many zeros that is, but it's a lot. If you're watching at home, you can probably Google that without me noticing, so you can figure how many zeros that is. So, right, so to trust 
that the Bible is not a miraculous, miraculous book is mathematically inconsistent. So again, what does this all mean? It means that by any historical standard, any mathematical standard, or any standard, the Bible is far and away the single most reliable ancient document in the world. And again, I know today's a little bit different, and I could, I could preach a whole a bunch of sermons on the trustworthiness of the Bible. But listen, you don't have to take my word for it. You can study it yourself, and I promise you won't be disappointed. Right, look at it like this. Right, we can trust the Bible by every standard right, that we place on it because the God who wrote it is trustworthy, and that is what we're going to see over the next 12 weeks. Right, we can trust the Bible by every standard, by whatever question we place on it, because uh, the God who wrote it, who inspired it, who put his spirit in its authors is trustworthy. Right? And here's what's cool. While learning about the greatest story there ever was the next 12 weeks, is it not great that we can trust it and the God who inspired it? And that's powerful. That's motivational, right? And this leads us to our next question. Why did God give us the Bible in the first place? All right, seriously, why did God give us the Bible? He's God, right? He's God. He could have communicated with us in a million uh, different ways. He could have just downloaded the information into our brains. I personally like the idea of carrying around a personal burning bush like Moses had. Christina assures me that that would cause problems when I put that bush in my pocket, right? But listen, right? God is God, right? He could have done anything he wanted, or he could have just remained a mystery to us forever. He could have just, uh, we could have just walked around this earth wondering about who he is and what he's like, but therein lies the problem. You see, he didn't want us to wonder. Right? He wants us to know him. He wants us to forge our life on him, and that's why he gave us his word. He gave us his story, the Bible, right? In all of its different components, the Bible, all the letters, all the, the books, all the, the documents and the songs and the stories, it tells us the story of people throughout history and of God's interactions with them, right? That's what we're going to be reading, right? As we read it, we would learn about the words he said, the actions that he takes, and what he promises to do. So God's word, right, the, the Bible, the word of God tells us who God is and what he's like. He gave it to us so we can know him, so we can use it as a tool in forging a lifelong reliance on him, which means that when we think of the Bible, when we look at it with the correct lens, we can know this, right, the point of the Bible is to know God better, right? And that's the context of which we start this series, right? The point of the Bible is to know God better. That's why we do this type of sermon series. This is why we're going to read through the Bible, to forge our life on him more and more, 
Right? The, the Bible isn't simply a collection of inspired uh, books and letters and songs that are historically and mathematically trustworthy. There are stories, yes. Uh, there are, are psalms, songs, yes. There are documents, yes, but, but ultimately the Bible as a whole serves as one big insight into the God who inspired it, the God that we forge our life on. And even more than that, it shows us that God did not just give us the Bible so we can know him. Right? The story, it shows us that he also gives us his son as well so that we can have an eternal relationship with him, so that we can know him and that he can save us. Listen, the, the writers of Hebrews said it like this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and then verse 3, it says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, the days that we're in, he has spoken to us through his son. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So that we can know him. Forge our life on him. Right, so while the, the words in the Bible are from God, Jesus is the ultimate and the clearest message from God. Right, Jesus is God himself. His story is the central theme, right, the, the, the main point. He is what makes everything else that we're going to be looking at, he makes it clear. Right, he makes it so that we can have a 30,000 foot view from the beginning to the end. In other words, right, the, the biggest job of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. And why does that matter so much? Well, because Jesus is the best and the most perfect picture of who God is. Right? He's, he's God the man. He's God the, in the flesh. Right? He is God. Right before Jesus arrived on earth, God revealed himself to the prophets who would then share with people what God had said, right? right? But with Jesus' arrival, we had a new way to know what God is like. And so today, right, the, the Bible is the place that helps us understand Jesus' story. And look, right, when we know Jesus better, we know God better. That's part of how the Trinity works. When we know Jesus better, when we we build that relationship with him, we know God the Father better. So when we read the Bible, we need to keep that goal in mind. We get to know God when we get to know Jesus, God in the flesh, God the man. We get to forge our life better by using this tool, this resource. Right? We, we all have valid and important questions about the things that we read in these pages. But the biggest answer to the question of what is the point of all of this? Like, why do we take the time to read? Why are we going to take the time to dig in and, and study and, and devote time to it? It's Jesus. That's, that's the answer. The point is to know Jesus better, and that is the answer to our final question. Right? Why should we read the Bible? Right? When we read the Bible, we get to fulfill the point of it. Right? We get to fulfill the point of it. We get to know God and Jesus 
better. Right? The, the Bible is the pure voice of God. It's a holy thundering, a, a call from, from the heavens to our ears that we are loved and that we are fought for, that we have a purpose. That, that God has a plan for us. He has a task created for us to do in his kingdom. That we can live our best life, a life that is forged on God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Right? Why right, would we not want to dig in? Right? Reading the Bible gives us access to the source material. The Bible is not the book report. Right? Reading it and studying it and, and digging into it, it's not a book report. It's getting a chance to sit down and speak with the author himself. Right? Why should we read the Bible? Because it changes everything. Look, the Bible was not meant to just build up our knowledge. It was meant to build up our relationship. <laughs> it's not just for our knowledge. It's, it's to build up our relationship. Every time I, I think of that, I'm reminded of that, that, that joke or that saying. Um, my nephew used to tell it to me. He's a little bit older now, so he doesn't tell these funny jokes as much. But uh, what would he say? Knowledge, right? Knowledge is knowing that a f- tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing that it doesn't belong in a, in a fruit salad, right? <laughs> That's what I'm reminded of. The Bible was not meant just to build up our knowledge, It's not just head knowledge. It was meant to build up our relationship. My dad used to work in prisons and uh, lead lead a church service every Sunday. And he had a guy who would play the piano for him for these services. The guy wasn't a Christian. But the guy, you could tell, you could say to the guy, hey, tell me what Philemon chapter 2 verse 3 says. And he would say it. And he would say, hey, all right, tell me what 1 Kings chapter 2. 30 verse 14 says, and the guy could say it. He had knowledge, but he didn't have a relationship. Right? The point of the Bible is so that we can have that relationship. Right? The Bible takes the ordinary act of reading and it turns it into the extraordinary act of becoming friends with the God of the universe. It's sitting down with the general. Right? And hearing the battle plan straight from him. It's as if God said, you can fly by sitting in your chair. Or, or you can be on the top of Mount Everest by just breathing. Or, or you can break the sound barrier by shuffling your feet down the sidewalk. Right? He, he said, he didn't say those things, but he did say this. Read this and it can change your life. Right? It is the tool to help us forge a lifelong reliance on God. By reading the Bible, we can hear the voice that brought the universe into existence, right? that, that created uh, the smallest atom and thought of you when he sent his son, when God the flesh left his divinity and came and died on the cross for us. We read it with the, the lens that it's building a relationship not just head knowledge. When we do that, it can change our life. It can change our marriages. It can change our finances. It can change our career because it allows us to form a relationship with the one who gave it all those things to us in the first place. reading, Reading the Bible lets you get to know the God of the universe and it changes everything. 
Joshua, will you grab that um, stool for me? I'm going to have, uh, I'm gonna have uh, Dylan come up over here. Come on up, Dylan. Joshua's going to be careful so you don't spill it on the guitar or electrocute ourselves and we all die. You're good. You're good. All right, so the Foundry kids are up here. All right, we're not going downstairs. You're good. Good, thank you. This is Dylan's part. All right, so the Foundry kids are up here. So I want to make this very clear of what the Bible does before we start the next 12 weeks of studying. All right, so imagine this water, all right? All right, Lucas and Mateo know all about the water from last time, all right? <laughs> I confused Lucas. All right, imagine the water is us, all right, Dylan? The water is us. The water is our, our lives, all right? And this, this bag of tea, just this normal bag of tea, is the Word of God, all right? It's the Word of God, all right? It's, it's a tool. It's a resource. It, it helps us. All right, so Dylan, you take this, all right, take the Word of God, and just quickly dip it in the water and pull it out, all right? All right? We put the Word of God in our lives, ah, nothing, all right? Now put it in there and leave it in there for a second, all right? We put it in there, second time, we, 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 we study, all right, hold it, hold it here, hold it here, all right? We study a little bit, we, we kind of let it soak in, all right? We pull it back out, nothing really, go ahead and keep it, hang on to it. All right, nothing really, all right, but then we do it again, we put it down in there, we get it really far down, get it really far down, all right, squeeze it a little bit, all right, we start studying, we start thinking, I should have practiced this, all right, we start thinking, it's getting there, there's some stuff coming out, I see it here, maybe you can't see it, maybe the camera, because it's a little bit closer, all right, we get with other people, we step up to the table, all right, we put another one in there. We're studying. We're looking. All right, you can leave that one in there. Add another one. All right. All right, grab one. All right, making a mess. But we get in there. We get the word in us. We're studying. It's another time, another opportunity. We put it in there. All right, start seeing it. Take some time. It's not an easy thing. All right, it's, not, it's a spiritual discipline. All right take some work, take some, some effort, but it's getting there, right? I think we busted a bag, but, but you know, oh, we take it to the next step, we uh, grab that one, all right, pull that, there you go, all right, and so we study the word some more, we're applying it to our lives, just like our strategy here at the Foundry, right? We, we, we gather at the altar each week. We, we, we worship. We sing praises to our Lord. We proclaim his truth. We take communion. But then we say we've got to step up to the table, and that can look like a million things. But we step up to the table so that the word of God, right, can impact us. And listen, this isn't hot water. It's not not hot, because none of us are, are hot and bothered to get into the Word of God sometimes, right? It's, it's, the, it's the Word of God, right? So we, we do it, but then we learn, no, this is making a difference, right? We're just making a mess now. <laughs> All right, squeeze there, squeeze it. All right, we do that. We just keep practicing, and we keep digging in, and, and we keep uh, proclaiming the questions in front of God. We say, what's the deal with this? Why? Why did you send this prophet? Why did he send a bear to kill these kids? Like, that's not very nice. What, how does that fit in 
to the overarching story of God. And as soon as we do that, our lives become more and more like painted with who he is. All right, and if you drink this, go ahead. Take a big, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you drink this, right, though, all right, there's flavor. There's a, there's a scripture that we, you can go and sit down. There's a scripture that we will look at. It talks about becoming the flavor, right? Like we, we, we become more and more like God to the point where we taste like him. <laughs> when we use that resource and that tool. We're going to have Joshua come back up and Christina. And we're going to continue to worship and we're going to continue to sing. But remember, as we dig into these stories the next 12 weeks, to know Jesus better and better. Let's stand and sing.